today I pulled the trigger on something that I've been planning for a while, which is to shift the Mad Christian Discord, wherein there lies the Brief History of Power Endless Discussion channel, uh, shift that space more toward being an intentional, non-government organizational hub for doing good in the world, especially in the belief that the name of Jesus Christ has power and that the Psalms and Proverbs are pretty good for us, Sons and Solomon, all of that. This is this has been in the works for a while, but today what I did was I attempted as a leader of influence in that space using a Valve style workplace. That's a company. There's a document you can read about it. Go get it, the Valve Employee Handbook. And concepts driven, drawn from uh, books like Why Work Sucks, Now to Fix It. Uh, using influence style leadership, I demonstrated the capacity of the group who trusts each other to fact check, narrative control, story move, and then use my influence elsewhere to send out reliable information with regard to what for some is a real-time emergency. And, and that is this narrative that this event of the sky turning to darkness, Dr. Koontz, is, is downright biblical, isn't it? I mean, aren't you just ready uh, to pin the tail on the Antichrist with the rest of them? But when this overlaps with other uh, bits of news coming through. I know there is Air Force drilling scheduled, lots of planes in the air somewhere over America, says somebody. Uh, when this connects with uh, local people, you know, being out in the air, having headaches and saying, this is weird. I, I don't remember it being like this last time I was near a big fire. Right. So the question of any concerned citizen really needs to be, where can I get good information? And I believe that the Mad Christian Discord as the expression of Dark Store, a nonprofit organization being funded to change the world through the right stories, uh, being founded to do this, just that, uh, is a place where we can find answers to these questions. And this is now on display for anyone to go look at it uh, in a temporary thread beneath the channel called Citadelia. Citadelia is kind of like the main streets, the water cooler, and our little organization of over 1,000 volunteers uh, who spend their time there arguing, yeah, but who also maybe could spend their time there activating each other into what, like what we just did, what, what we just displayed. And so anyone who wants to take the time to go look at that, um, you're going to get to see, I think, uh, some real potential. And while you might want to uh, stick around and join this way of thinking about group action in a postmodern fifth generation warfare scenario as Christians, <laughs> and none of that is me just blowing smoke. Um, that is, in fact, what I'm pretty much committing the rest of my life to, Psalms, Proverbs, Jiu-Jitsu, Hebrew and Collegium, et cetera, et cetera. But what I really want to do now now is now that I've 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 used my organic artificial intelligence of groupthink, you know, uh, outsource, crowdsource, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what does the real organic intelligence of Dr. Koontz have to tell me about why I should think this is just normal smoke? And all of the stuff about the maps only showing stuff in certain places and all of the stuff about seeding the clouds. And you pick your conspiracy theory. We know you listen to this show for a good reason, right? Uh, I would like to hear Dr. Koontz acknowledge as many of them as he can think of. And then take us through into you know, sound reasonableness in the end. And and for conclusion here, I, I do want to say, so closing the drill, what we what I use this for within the structure of the, the Dark Shore Discord uh, was to really also drill those of us who have been there for a while, how, who had spent a lot of time together getting through 2020 and COVID. Do we still have that skill set? 
What if I pull this out right now today and say, hey, everybody work hard. What happens? And I got to say, the team that exists there, Pass with Flying Colors, and the whole premise of the thing is join us. Uh, join us. It's, it's a place of influence. It's a place to network. It's a place to sell your stuff. And I don't by sell. I don't mean for money. I mean like like spread the good works and all this. But to do that, uh, here comes again my good friend Adam. Tell me about the fires. I grew up in California. There, there are fires all the time. Um, it, it's dunk. They they move people out. Actually, the thing that reminded me most of anything. This was smog, man. This smelled like, felt like, looks like smog. Uh, East yeah. LA. So, um, but that's why it's like, that's weird. Just a Canada fire, eh? Um, so, you know, I don't know. What do you got to say? So you got a couple things. And one thing to remember is that anytime an event that doesn't normally happen in the vastly more populated half of the United States occurs there, that it just matters more than when something occurs west of the Mississippi. Maybe even including in that judgment, California, that if it only happens in California, it has to be enormous for it to matter to anybody else. The reason all of that matters is because the eastern half of the United States, as well as of Canada, is not climatically set up for wildfire to be ecologically necessary. The kinds of species that actually require fire are, you know, sort of begin in northern Minnesota, let's say in American terms. And then increase in predominance as you move west, right? So with the exception of like Cascadia, you need wildfire necessarily in the west on some level. How you go about that and how often that happens and therefore how often you have a haze that should smell like a campfire. It shouldn't smell like smog or haze. We have both here in Denver, so the difference is really easy to tell that when you have a wildfire, it's going to smell a certain way. There's going to be a certain frequency and that's the way life works, right? And so you're going to have these debates and you've had debates for a hundred plus years in particularly the West about the frequency of fire, about fire management. And that's also why the West, especially organizations like Cal Fire are so important to the Canadians in stopping these things. Okay. Some of that is performative. Like when I want to say it was Haiti sent firefighters to Canada back in the spring, not just now. I'm not exactly sure what a tropical island is going to contribute particularly to <laughs> preventing wildfires, but maybe something, right? But that that expertise is going to be mainly in the American West because of the ecological necessity of fire to many of our tree species. So you've got two things that are really unusual. One, you've got people in the East, particularly in Ontario and the American Northeast that have to deal with something that just seems really strange to them, right? So it's easy solely on the basis of images that look apocalyptic to get people really upset, right? And terrified. Then there's the question of what it smells like, which is that it doesn't necessarily smell like a campfire everywhere. And that is where you begin to wonder what is the origin of these fires, because the official explanation, if you go to anything that's going to be more numerically literate or is going to give you more data, like say an official Canadian government source, those are going to be full 
of numbers and they're going to tell you that the snowpack was low in the Canadian Rockies this winter, which is true, right? It's higher the farther south you go this winter in the United States. So it's great in California and Colorado and not as great in Montana and, and not real great, but not real bad in Alberta. So they'll tell you that, they'll give you numbers. And then what they're going to do is, and the the I think the really important purpose of this is to provide a narrative about climate change, because that is the overarching emergency that people feel. And it's really easy to convince people of vague, enormous causes that should control their decision-making when they know very little about those causes. So there's something here that is entirely unknown to me, which is why it, which is why it's kind of like haze or smog rather than smoke exactly for some people in some places. That's that's one thing we can talk about. But the other thing, and I think the the larger issue and the reason that things like this, or if you listen to the way that news in California talks about winter storms, which which in Californian terms are for the vast majority of people rainstorms, is that the way that meteorology and natural things are covered, particularly for people who have very little contact with nature, is that it's very, very, very easy to make them a source of terror because they're both obviously out of your control. Now, they're not going to say that about climate change, right? <laughs> That's under your control. That's why you're supposed to only use electric weed whackers to trim the edges of your lawn. But it's out of your control. It's bigger than you. And you don't understand it. You know, there are a lot of people for whom the weather is just, is it raining or not? Is it sunny or not? Did it snow or not? That's that's about as far as it goes. They don't watch it over time, which is how you compose an idea of climate. They don't have a sense of geography, really. They don't know what tree species are predominant where they live or why or what the soil is. So it's really easy to lie to people or to selectively tell them certain facts about weather and natural happenings and patterns because no one knows what that is, right? So I'm highly suspicious, for example, of the idea that the fires, especially earlier in the spring, were in Nova Scotia, which is still farther east than Quebec, which is still really far east, that those are entirely organic because and the uh, the explanations for those that I found in any official media source reduced to someone threw a cigarette butt. Okay, <laughs> maybe in 2023, there are enough cigarette butts flying around unlit in the middle of nowhere. Maybe, right? There was a lightning strike. Okay, when were those storms? Because you could meteorologic meteorologically be pretty clear about that. Or there were sparks that came off a train line. So there are train lines just running around everywhere in far northern Quebec on the Hudson Bay, and those may have caused a wildfire. I mean, none of those none of those explanations sounds extremely serious. And if you wanted to stop those, since they're not ecologically necessary in an eastern forest, then you know you could. We might we we might want to look into that, right? But we don't really want to look into that. <laughs> because that that would take away some of the power of the narrative, right? And the narrative is one that is going to be built up very carefully because climate is so vague and so big 
it's so useful. It's like war, right? It is so useful because it's a giant threat, seemingly, to people who know nothing about it, definitely, so that you can control them and increase the amount of control you have. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's as an idea, it's a tool of war right now. It is a, a massive uh, idol in the pantheon of what? How do we de- deconstructive Gnosticism? Yeah. That, that hits it. Um, right. Keep going, man. I got I got notes, but you keep going if you want. Okay. I mean, I think on the on the question of alienation from nature, that's probably the easiest and simplest place to start. In that, if you have any acquaintance with nature, let's say you go out every so often, and maybe you even camp, or you're gonna cook your dinner, right? So you're gonna start a fire then it's it's kind of it's it resembles the way that guns are talked about in that if you have any acquaintance with them it's not nearly as scary or strange or unknown as it's made to seem so discussion of nature has especially increased since covid because so many people try to get outside and that and i, I see that actually as a good thing like the fact that it's really hard to get a camping reservation at a California state park. That's actually a good thing. You know, if California is going to limit your entire life based on electricity usage for reasons that are very complex, then it would be better if you had some idea of what's happening out outside than if you don't. But if you have gone outside and you have started a fire and then, you know, covered up the fire at the, when you're done, Right, you know that these things don't happen except with extreme carelessness or with a certain infrequency that, like I said, ecologically in the West is necessary for certain amounts of burning to happen. That's why you also get you also get controlled burns, right, by government agencies and as as a land management tool, right? And that's actually that's actually necessary, right? You need you're, you're not you talking need... about mostly peaceful protests here. You're talking about trees, right? Yeah, I'm talking about trees. <laughs> right. Well, if you take a look at the and maybe the maps that I sent to Pacifist can go in the show notes or whatever, but if you take a look at these maps, the population density west of the Mississippi compared to east is just not even close. So one of the great benefits of living in the West is that you have very quick access to relatively speaking to very remote places and in those places you don't have nearly enough people to have a mostly peaceful protest or to you know burn down your laundromat with a black lives matter sign in the window you have access to great beauty but a lot of those tree species particularly all the evergreens that we have need fire for seed dispersal so that's that's why it's different because the great let's say climatic fact not not theory but fact of the north american continent is that it gets more arid the farther west you go right so that difference in dryness and humidity is why you get the species you do and why they have the the needs that they do right so it's not that fire has absolutely no role in the east it's just doesn't have anything like the same kind of necessity for the species that predominate as it does in the west if that's the case and you find that out and you cover up your fire or you understand there's a burn ban 
in this state park for the next two weeks because it hasn't rained in two weeks, which is perfectly normal because a lot of our moisture here comes from snowpack, not from rain as precipitation, then you just go along with it. I mean, these these are not things that have to happen. <laughs> they do not occur without some amount of human stupidity and human agency. So if this same fire happened, and let me just give you some counterexamples to think about this. Go look up, just find yourself like a Wikipedia list of big fires, especially in Western states that are relatively populous. So don't, don't try Nevada, try Colorado, try California, try, you know, parts of Arizona. And you look this up. Well, when you get a big fire that especially threatens homes, there's always going to be a question and there's always going to be some investigation by somebody, even if not an official, into human agency. Always. And what's really interesting to me about the coverage of the Canadian wildfires is they're not even, they're not explaining any of the stuff that I've just talked about. Climate, right. ecology, tree species, none of that. Especially for, what do, what do you think people on Long Island know about trees in the Canadian Rockies? On average, not much, Right. Much less, if you look in those articles, are they trying to say, and, you know, f officials are looking into possible causes, because a lot of this, they could actually know who was there, who was around, was there lightning in the area at that time? You know, I mean, they could provide some explanation. This is not that hard to find out. So this is like a common theme that came through underneath the think tank crunching that we did uh, you know first we came through with um the the most normative explanation is that this is indeed fires all right and, yeah you know don't go breathe it though that'd be stupid right actually you know maybe stay home today rest a little stay inside get an air filter that can all that's still real um but then almost everyone was like but it kind of smells funny and they weren't necessarily speaking like actually from the nostrils, um, but like the whole scenario, what you just said. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's just a, it's just fishy isn't the word. It's, it's, it's like there was a, I don't know, you, you talk about, you know, incompetence and, you know, my science is probably way off, but my storytelling makes sense. And that is that, hey, wasn't there just a giant chemical explosion somewhere like a month and a half, two months ago? And so if there are fires that happen to be set by a bunch of stupid people all at the same time, and this is mixing together and blowing over our country, isn't that kind of bad? And shouldn't we be talking about that? And yeah. It's not that, you know, fine. I don't care. But like, why is it just, don't worry, it's wildfires. It's like, from Canada? I'm, I'm a long way away. I saw the New York stuff a week and a half ago. Oh, that was, it hasn't been that bad here. So I, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's fishy. It is. And people are probably not used to watching the weather for any other purpose. So weather for modern people, and this maybe returns to some of our Kaczynski type discussion, but whether for modern people is if it exists, if it exists in their minds is only ever an imposition, you know, a lot of people have in their minds and they certainly reflect that in how they set up their homes to be heated and cooled that they basically want to live in like Santa Barbara, right? Where the weather for all intents and purposes changes very, very, very little. And and it is, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to live in Santa Barbara, <laughs> Santa Cruz, San Diego. I I'm I think I'm too much of a partisan of yeah. seasonality to yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> East but, meets West. East meets West and, and well served, but carry on. <laughs> but but in any case, 
So people don't, they're not thinking about what weather might be for, right? You have exceptions. You've got farmers thinking about precipitation. So farmers could tell you that when the news is saying that we've been in a drought condition or that the Canadian prairie has been in a drought condition, they're not, they're not lying, right? Just altogether flatly about that. Yeah, that doesn't go for everywhere on the North American continent, but the idea that there have been drought conditions, especially in the Western part of the continent for a while is is there, right? You'd also probably want to talk to somebody like a farmer who's actually outside every day and looking at the sky and observing differences in what is going on, right? So part of concern about chemtrails, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's relevant to the point is I think some people just don't know what certain kinds of clouds look like. That's a different question from the government's HARP program and cloud seeding, okay, and lots of other things. But I'm just saying you have to account when you go out in nature as a modern person that you are basically totally illiterate, probably. There are exceptions. Probably most of us are totally illiterate. And we might try to overcome that and learn how to, you know, make first make our mark and then later on be able to read, you know, graded reader, uh, little kid reading books, as it were. But most of us are totally illiterate and we should presume that we are. So that when someone is telling us about natural patterns or something that we would want to know, okay, well, what does that actually mean? So give you an example here is that a lot of meteorologists or they're not even meteorologists necessarily. They're usually called climate scientists now. Not that those things are equivalent, but that's who they bring in to comment on things like this. Because the news is like your lowest level of information, right? You might feel really good if you read the news a lot, but it's your lowest level of information. Something you might always want to do, especially if you're interested in something is just dig into its sources, dig into whatever scientific papers this person was citing, et cetera. They'll bring in the climate scientists and they'll say, spring is arriving earlier than ever and fall is lasting longer than ever. Okay, so that's an assertion about the nature of seasonality in the same way that, you know, spring has always come earlier in South Carolina than in New York State. Okay, so that's something that you can actually go look at data or you could go ask somebody, what does earlier mean? Because I find that what often happens when they're talking about climate change is that they're blowing up either a pattern that held over five years or 10 years into an assertion about climate, which otherwise no one is ever supposed to do since it's supposed to be a long lasting set of patterns, not a set of observations at this time or this time or this time, right? That's weather. So you could say, well, the weather has been drier or the weather has been warmer or I noticed that the mountain laurel bloomed in May rather than in June, which it doesn't and hasn't. I'm just saying that would be a good example in the northeastern United States or Atlantic Canada. So what's always happening here is that they're taking advantage of the fact that you're probably illiterate regarding God's creation. And therefore, if they're going to lie to you about God's creation and what threatens it, then what they need to do is to give you just a couple of facts that sounds like they know what they're talking about. And then they'll say things, and I've always hated this inside the church when people talk this way, but it's it's not just inside the church that people talk this way. They just assert endlessly without proof. 
just assertion after assertion after assertion after assertion. Okay, well, unless I'm a complete idiot, <laughs> I would like a little bit of proof, like at least act like my brain is somewhat functioning, right? But they just assert and assert and assert and assert. And the thing about that is that that has a subliminal effect even on intelligent people, let alone people who don't even desire to use their brains, that if it's asserted over and over and over and over again, climate change is happening, it's real, spring is coming earlier, falls lasting longer, winter is shorter, summer's hotter, right? If they just do that over and over again, then any time that you're thinking a thought that is not that thought, it's really hard to think the thought that is not that thought because you've heard over and over and over again that this is true. The subliminal brainwashing of constant messaging and our willing bowing of the knee, subjugation to it, uh, yeah. is is a profound, profound thing. Um, so tell me then just what, what you do know then or what you can say about the the reality that there, that there are or could be chemicals in any of this uh, beyond what would be normal from trees and and that includes like trees burning and that includes you know the um, at least one source that we saw today uh, that made the claim that you know some of the chemicals that people with hand reading decoders are picking up in the air and are saying mm-hmm. are are toxic are indeed but are also normally found in the brain of trees so it's it's like it's not you know what do you know of that and yeah and why I ask is it because I'm like well I mean I am looking at the smog and I don't like it but but uh, really. Uh, one of the other real fruits that came out of our drill today was this conclusion that common knowledge, meaning not what everyone knows, but what everyone used to know, uh, you know, what is known that can be known that, that we can pass on easily is not common anymore. And that right. it is it is the agenda of goodwill Christians to discern and then promote common knowledge, especially when we see that the uh, the idolistic narrative monsters of the present age are directly assaulting the common knowledge itself uh, in, in, in the narrow, right? And so that's what, to me, it's like, well, one side or the other today woke me up to tell me, right, that, that there is not common knowledge that we can know about the haze. And so, you know, how do I find that common knowledge, share that common knowledge with my actual neighbors, my neighborhood? What do we do? Our kids have headaches because they're playing outside, right? What do we do about this? Should we be worried? Do we need to hunker down? Da 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 da. So um, uh, that pursuit of common knowledge is why I asked the question. You know, give me the actual details. Tell me about the trees and the burnings. I, I get the, the pine cone part, but more like um, what could cause it to come off as toxic, but really be naturalistic causes. Or if you feel like you want to go the other way, go the other way. What is inside of it is. Also presented, I I mean, just kind of think through this. It's presented as just like a, like, it's like a package that gets delivered to you from Canada, right? And nothing is picked up along the way and nothing has anything to do with local air quality that already had whatever particulates in it, right? Yes. Right. So that's not going to be narrated. Like nobody's going to say, you know, being outside and trying to go for a run during rush hour in Manhattan was always hazardous to your health. And that was, you know, anthropogenic, right? So they're not saying that. That's that's 
that's that's the major ground for my suspicion is that it's not as if modern life is the healthiest thing for a human being that any human being has ever had the opportunity to take in and to breathe, right? But the things that are unhealthy, like our food supply or the air that we breathe in an industrialized area where we're told that we need to live so that we have a good job, so that then we have a future, or at least we get to go on vacation a couple times a year, none of that is ever discussed. Right. So what, you know, we who are illiterate then understand is that when something comes from somewhere else, what, what experience do we have of things coming from somewhere else? Like <laughs> we don't, right. Except for packages. So if they say, well, it's from Canada. <laughs> okay. Then there's nothing we can do about that. And it would seem that it all just got kind of dropped the way, like if I ordered three things from Amazon, two come in two days and one comes in four days or something. So it all just got dropped here as if there's also no interaction between whatever is coming on the jet stream and whatever factors are going on in your local area. So an example of this is that when you come out of the mountains going east into Denver, Colorado, usually when it's warm, there is some amount of haze. It would be really silly for people in the Denver area to pretend like somehow that was there because it floated down from the north. The jet stream runs west to east. It floated down from the north and somehow it's caused by, I don't know, what they're doing up in Wyoming. <laughs> right? It's caused by the interaction of our weather as it comes over the Rockies, which always affects our weather, right? So there's an actual natural explanation for the kind of weather we have here with what we're doing here. So the idea that somehow air quality is constituted by climate change, factors out of my control in another country about environments I don't understand at all. That's what I'm suspicious of. Right. I don't actually doubt that it's naturalistic. What I'm sure of is that people who are paid to do things like this, so a guy that you'll see pop up all over articles about things like this in like the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal or CBC or whatever, it's a guy named Michael Wara, W-A-R-A, who is at Stanford. And he is a sharp guy, right? He's got a PhD in oceanic science. And he's got a JD from Stanford. So this guy is paid and it's very much in his personal interest to make you as worried as possible. I mean, because this is a playbook that they just ran with COVID, yeah. I, I would hope that some larger percentage, but see, when you switch a topic, a lot of people don't think that logic still exists. A lot of people learn logic within some certain set of parameters. So they're very logical when they're thinking about the job that they do every day, but they're not logical when they think about human relationships. That's probably the hardest place to be logical, right? Or they're not even logical when they think about a different topic because they think that somehow logic doesn't transfer. So they don't, they don't know anything. And then they're like, well, you know, maybe they're right. You know, this guy's an expert. It says right there in the article, he's an expert. And away we go. I mean, but it's a, it's it's this, I can see them setting up the same playbook 
And a lot of people who are very well-intentioned are going to go down the same rabbit hole that they went with COVID-19 to figure out if it was made in the lab by the U.S. government. Even if that's true, guess what? It doesn't matter that much. What really matters is what we're going to do with it. Yeah. Right? Or what they're going to do with it. <laughs> Which, right. Mean, again, yeah. so like, I mean, go ahead. The, the, well, it's not that good. You're probably going to see better. The, the most alarming, like, clickbait piece of the news I saw today was how if there's a bad enough air quality over certain number of regions of yeah. American area, they can be declared FEMA disaster zones, thereby bypassing rule of law in the entire country if you have 10 or more. I yeah. don't know if that's true. But see, again, I'd kind of like to know if someone knows how to find out if that is true. Because okay. if that is true, that sounds like what I'd do as a globalist. I mean, I, I would if I was right. evil, you know, like they are. <laughs> well, well, one of, I mean, certainly one of the listeners not only already knows it, but knows how to prove it to us. So I'm not worried about finding a source on that. But I think, I mean, just in Congress, just this week as we were recording, very last week of June, last couple of days of June, is that Republicans in the House are trying to make it completely unthinkable and impossible for the president to declare a climate emergency similar to the COVID-19 emergency, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. if we remember, just ended, uh, technically speaking, in terms of the U.S. federal government. So they know that that playbook is is the very one that, that they're going to run. And this is where, you know, the notion of forgiving and forgetting, which is not a phrase from the Bible, right? Forgiving is, but forgetting is not because forgetting is the thing that I think most easily makes you a fool. And that's part of the function of you have a smartphone, you have a short attention span, there's a news cycle, you have a feed, you're an animal, they put the food in front of you, you eat it, you move on to the next day. There's different food. It's a new cycle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is to make you forgetful, right? And that hap that does literally happen with things that you read on a screen versus in a book or that you've heard. It makes you forgetful. That if you're forgetful, I mean, like, that's the very thing that's going to let you in for the same trouble, right? Like, I, I did not forget how our churches reacted to COVID, right? Or Lyman Stone called for we, the unvaccinated, to be put into camps. I remember all that. So if you're forgetful, then you're going to forget that. And there was already call for a COVID amnesty, right? And we just, you know, we just move on with our lives. We all made mistakes. Yeah, we did all make mistakes, but we didn't all make the same mistakes. I didn't call for the vaccinated to be put into camps or to lose their jobs, right? Or anything that was, uh, you know, threatened to us. So if I see the same playbook being run over again, then I am really not interested in the game going exactly the same way. I mean, if I'm such a stupid football coach that you are beginning to run the exact same offense that you ran against me last time, and I didn't look at the film and I didn't analyze what you did and I didn't put in the right guys in the right places to react to that and to counter what you're doing because you're just doing the same stupid thing over again, then that's on me, right? That It's incumbent on me not to be forgetful. It is that 
Mm, I'm going to hunt for the right word for no good reason. It it is that uh, energy, uh, zeal that I hear in your voice uh, that is why uh, I have been developing Dark Shore to be what it is and why I wanted to use this podcast format to talk about the behavior expectation design drill uh, that we ran today in order to fight back. Uh, You know, for the past three years now, you've been teaching me uh, how to think about these things and how to be one who does not sit on my hands, but actively uses the tools I have on hand uh, for the sake of promoting my faith as if and because it is more substantial and matters more than all the rest of these these stories. Right. And so, you know, I, I really want to emphasize that when I when I saw this news and I saw that I had a physical reason in my neighborhood to also address the news um, and and went to our discord group which again is open. You're invited to come be a part of this. There's, there's pack rules. There's a pack dynamic, but it's, it's the school of influence. Um, I, I, when I went there to do this drill, it was exactly because, um, I have been studying my opponent (laughs) and I know what they're doing and whether or not my family needs to wear masks because of this cloud. Yeah. Um, right. I remember masks quite well, and, yeah. and I can understand how uh, an agenda to wear, make the globe wear masks that didn't work one way uh, can it doesn't take an idiot to figure this out, really, if you're watching. And, and I'm not saying that it's going to succeed. I'm not saying there's yeah. one person behind it other than you know the devil himself. Um, what I am saying, though— is that uh, thanks to uh, your tutelage, thanks to the human beings who are the network that are there on that Discord now, um, uh, this drilling was seizing the moment and turning it into an opportunity for us to test ourselves and now look back on it and ask, you know, really, really, how do we do? So I want to invite anyone who's listening to go again, look at, we're going to leave that little thread there for a while. Just look, it was there. It'll close down. There won't be much more discussion on it. Um, But think about how this was meant to demonstrate the power of the tool that we have, right? It's not AI. It's us. It's a network. It's how they built Google. Okay. So we we have it. Um, Join me. Let's use it is the call. And let's use it precisely, uh, Dr. Coons, uh, to not get duped again into closing our churches. You know, for Jesus' sake. I mean it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if maybe our churches would have to close because they're, you know, not measuring up to their carbon credits or something. But, I mean, the, the exact mechanism of enforcement is currently unclear. What's clear is that some amount of credentialism so, you know, here's here's my PhD in the correct thing from the correct place, right? Some amount of credentialism combined with what is always a false concern for the apparent object of concern. So they were so concerned about your health that you're supposed to breathe in microplastics from your mask, right? And they're so concerned about creation or nature or mother earth phrase I have come to absolutely despise. It's also always the description. It's always a female deity in paganism Mm -hmm. is the earth. And then the sky God is male 
and that's where the world comes from. So I don't really like the term Mother Earth, but it's a fake concern for the Earth, not built on experience or observation. It's not like the fact that, you know, many, especially large American species like the bison and Rocky Mountain elk have been saved precisely by the people who hunt them. Because those are the people with actual knowledge of those animals and their environments and what's good for them and how we should limit ourselves because being in God's creation does give you a really clear sense of limits, right? These people have no limits. Look at them. Look how they behave. Look how they talk, right? They have no sense of their own limitation. If they loved nature so much, they would not talk to other human beings in such a high-handed fashion. Because it would have inculcated a sense of one's smallness, right? Not insignificance, right? That's sort of the, that's like the Redditor sense of nature, especially of the stars, is that, you know, it, we're all insignificant because the universe is so big. No, you're not insignificant, but you are small, right? In the same way, a baby is not insignificant. She's just small. You're small. Almost everything else is out of your control. And they are trying to give you a sense so that you listen to their data and obey their precepts and their directives and their mandates that you can fix this. That's also why whenever things like this, as soon as you hear narrative, 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 you know that this is where they're doing something and not just telling you something. Because sometimes you do get, you do get sort of despite them, Pure bits of news. So if you hear about a U.S. Navy ship crashing into another U.S. Navy ship because, you know, two deck officers were not speaking to each other, right? Two female officers were were fighting and they weren't talking to each other. So the navigation was off. That's a pure bit of news <laughs> because it doesn't fit any narrative that they need right now, right? But if you have a, especially a natural occurrence or an occurrence that's hard for people to understand, like virological transmission or ecological functioning, especially in environments that they haven't been in or, or don't maybe know a whole lot about, then, and then they're like, and this is because of, or this is intensified by, or the link is unclear, but there is definitely a correlation between human caused anthropogenic climate change and X event or Y event or Z reality, then you know that they're up to something. And what's so nice about climate change for them is that this is something that, you know, the, the much vaunted World Econo Economic Forum, but also lots of other agents and agencies of public and private and other kinds agree in pursuing. So it's, it, I, I have lots of trouble believing that some staffer in the Biden White House who's never been anywhere except, you know, the greater Boston area and the greater Washington area has some deep, sincere concern for the biodiversity of the Canadian Rockies. She does have a deep concern, as evidenced by the course of her life, for power over you. So I would expect her to be pursuing that rather than pursuing the actual good of the Canadian Rockies as a someone who hunts there perhaps actually would. Let me give you another bit of how and why this drill uh, transpired and how it was 
brought not only from um, from your tutelage, but from one of the books that we've referenced more than any other one yeah. uh, on the show, which is the Aguirre book on on Argentina. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe uh, what's the big book that that we did the whole show on for a while? That Tragedy be, and Hope. There you go. by Carol Quigley. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> what was that? Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Aguirre book was more. Uh, it was more had more of an impact on on more people's lives. No question. I, I think so. Yeah. So one, one of the stellar things that came out of that book, and it's not, it's not really well written, right? So you got to mine it a little bit, but. Um, <laughs> There was a point where he basically kind of chides you as an American man. He's like, check it out. Um, your family's not going to follow you when it all goes down. If they don't follow you now. You're going to let your daughter argue with you while you have to go deal with the people coming at you to kill you? Are you ready for this? And I took that very seriously. I mean, I got a pretty yeah. overall like good kids, right? But I was kind of like, oh, man. No, nah, we, we do our bicker thing, right? all this. And so, you know, simultaneously while I am today running this, you know, online uh, CEO startup fun game of, of Darkshore and uh, Think Tank Crunching, join the team, uh, I, I ran it as a home event with my family where we canceled mm-hmm. everywhere that we're going to go as if this were an unknown, you know, smoke that could kill us all. Um, and we, but we, we limited it. Uh, people did go out in the car for limited chores or appointments that were uh, met, but we otherwise just stayed home, move around some filters and stuff. Um, and then, you know, three hours into it, I tell my kids, so this is a drill guys, right now. Keep going though. You're doing well, right? I let them in on it so they could continue to learn. I was testing us. How well do we respond? Do we have to fight you while we fight the world? And my family, I thought, did very well. And I also have two neighbors who are thinking with me about our neighborhood long term, and we ran the drill as well. Uh, And so we had kind of a a more often text message check-in day with each other. Um, Just sort of, yeah, I went for a walk. You know, uh, it's still out here. Didn't see anybody else. I feel fine, right? So we used all of that drilling capacity in order to seize this this moment um, and test at least my personal experience against a Gary's challenge. And, um, uh, thankfully again, I, I got to be praised. Uh, you know, the people around me, we've, we've been praying and working. So it's not like we are unprepared. Um, and again, that's why I'm sharing this with all of you right now. Join us, get prepared. Where are you? It's not about joining us here necessarily. Uh, the, the dark shore dispersed network, sense of Solomon prayer network, all that is it's worldwide, right? But it works through uh, the twisted internet. Um, thank you, Adam, again, for the, uh, the things you've pointed me to over time, the various resources, because the way they've congealed for me continues to bear fruit and I pray it continues to bear fruit. That's why I bring it up again. Yeah. I mean, I, that is one of the purposes uh, and probably the main one that we started this show is because the last time that this particular playbook was being run, most people were not operating on let's say a biblical sense of not only what could occur such that any events out of the ordinary or out of, and and by that, I mean a sense of increasing prosperity and comfort as life goes on, which is maybe the day-to-day reality of the American dream. If you're living it is that you're increasingly happy and increasingly comfortable. So when that doesn't happen, what do you do? How do you analyze life on on a larger level, there was also an unbiblical set of assumptions about human nature. 
especially human nature that is explicitly now in rebellion against Jesus Christ. And in rebellion against Jesus Christ, how do human beings behave, right? They have a whole month devoted to, depending on which theologian you're reading, the source of all sin called pride. And how are they going to behave when they're in open rebellion? Well, we see it, right? We don't really have to wonder about it. It's why people who are politically conservative, let's say, in a 2023 sense, you know, so the polls showing that larger percentages of Republicans are now opposed to gay marriage than were like three years ago. That's that's significant, especially for the church, because those people are looking for some sense of coherence to the various truths that they have perceived about mankind in the past three years. So there's a sense in which if they're going to keep running this playbook, that's actually good for God's message, because it means that more people are going to be more open to a clear message that is not this prophecy of <laughs> doom from the forest or or doom because we're driving gas-powered cars or any of the other, let's say, demonic, or you could say secular, but we'll just say demonic eschatologies that are on offer. So, I mean, if that's if that's being achieved in any way, then then what we're doing here is being achieved. I think this is also a a time in which we are beginning to sort out, you know, whether it's a a think tank run through Discord or it is all sorts of alternative institutions, is that we're figuring out that the possibility for promoting truth also in things that don't concern the gospel, strictly speaking, are increasingly few in the institutions that are available to us because those institutions are invested in various kinds of conformity, let's say. So if you can just kind of game this out with me, you might want to consider the possibility that climate goals and climate targets and climate regulations now become a part as they already are uh, for publicly traded companies and certainly informally through your major hedge funds that like DEI, climate takes on a significance out of all proportion to any sense of reality or <laughs> let's say an inverse relationship to its reality, right? So which is which is where DEI is. So think about it this way. If climate now becomes a part of accreditation, that affects all of our educational institutions. And what is the person inside that institution most interested in doing? Well, he wants that institution to keep going, in it, which, in it, which in its own way is totally understandable and comprehensible. It might be wrong, but it's understandable, right? Or now we have climate goals inculcated into building codes, and we have them put into the form of insurance requirements. Well, now that affects everything that has insurance, like your church. Okay. So the reason to follow things like this and to oppose them, especially when they're small, is because that is helping you mitigate their impact, perhaps even stop their impact in whatever sphere, but certainly mitigate their impact. The more people are aware of it, the sooner. With COVID, you know, 
we we were not ready for that. We were just totally unready for the world to turn in on itself and for lies to be spread so widely. Let's not get fooled again. So part of the playbook is not just that they set something up and then they have the loose sorts of connections about topics people don't understand, like we discussed earlier in this episode. Part of the playbook, too, is that they put what they're doing into the required regulatory framework of everyday life for all of us, whether it's insurance policies or accreditation for educational institutions at all levels, whatever it is, they work in a very legalistic, bureaucratic manner. So the attacks that impact you the most will come by way of legalistic, bureaucratic maneuvers. The faceless machine smashing you through some person <laughs> whose fault it is not at all is, yeah. is you know, I think something we can all feel already. Um, and the idea that it's going to come more and more even to communities, perhaps even to states, um, that that is what I learned the first time through. And I'm pretty yeah. confident that if uh, any of this comes up at the upcoming synodical convention, it will be under the heading of climate change and it will be something like we're opposed to littering or something about, about the most that our current institutions will be able to, to come <laughs> up with as a game plan. Right. right. And, and, and that's what the challenge. So speaking of game plans and challenges, I had quite the weekend. I, um, uh, we have this uh, uh, growing intentional activity at the pro-life events uh, in the Rockford area by members of St. Paul. This has been through the same kind of application, you know, empowering those below through permission, uh, lifting up young men in their zeal and giving them a work to do that's good for the church. We have a group of 15, 17 regulars that are going to the monthly protests at the uh, new abortion mill that they are putting in uh, in uh, on a street down in the, one of the poorest areas of Rockford. And uh, linking up then with the Rockford Life and Family Initiative, which is the pro-life arm in Rockford. Rockford's a city of you know six hundred thousand people. Um, and uh, so we, we, because of about a year of our group just going to these things and then having a game plan, which is uh, well, we're gonna bring hymnals and we're gonna sing some hymns. Uh, because of that, we kind of got known. And this this year at the Walk for Life to commemorate the overturning of, of Roe versus Wade with Dobbs uh, last year, uh, we were invited to take the the stage and do the prelude music. We got to sing uh, the Magnificat and a bunch of other stuff uh, on, into the microphones over the crowd of a couple hundred people, and. Uh, that was that was kind of amazing uh, to be part of that and to see that as a growing opportunity to to work with those who are like minded, and then at that very moment, you know, have our congregation get to shine and get promoted. Really, frankly, uh, which is good since we. I don't know about you. I want to convert people to my faith. <laughs> and so to do that, they got to see you and hear you at a certain point. So that was all pretty, pretty amazing that, you know, no city presence at the entire thing. All of the traffic stuff was volunteer. It's just a quiet Saturday in Rockford. It's very interesting. Um, uh, I did see a, uh, a woman with a lot of tattoos and short hair and a sedan attempt to drive through the crowd. At one point, she was stopped by the volunteer uh, people from uh, going into the crowded area. She was shouting about how she could if she wanted to do it. It was her right. She then drove at about 55, 60 down a alley out of sight. That was 
that was a thing to watch. Um, well, uh-huh. but that that day all finished peaceably, and it is all just the prelude to Monday night, when uh, because at the event they mentioned uh, word had come, uh, it had been let known that the local Rockton uh, Free Public Library. Uh, was going to be hosting a Drag Queen Story Hour this coming July, certain date, I'm not sure what, and that the board of directors for the library was meeting, you know, that Monday night, just a couple of days ago, uh, to discuss whether or not they were going to let this thing go forward, because up to this point, they they didn't even know it existed. It now has come up as news, and they had to meet to deal with it. And there was going to be a, a organize, an organized gathering of those who want to protest against the event, Uh intentionally gathering outside but not going inside so that the local residents who belong there could go inside and that a you know one or two representatives of the you know Rockford Life and Family Initiative could go inside and say well the rest of this group is with us um, so I, you know, I promoted it to my, my congregation. I talked to another local pastor. He said he'd be there. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, we get there and we try to, I try to position this kind of where we can be seen. We're going to sing some hymns like normal. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but out of the way of the line, long line that is already forming to enter into the space, you know, through the doors. Uh, and, and then, you know, about five minutes in, I hear the drums and, and I hear the drums and look down the street and I see the flags and I see the 100 people, 150 people waving their banners left and right, shouting, marching. Uh, they walk right up to to where uh, we were, um, smother kind of around us. And just like that, there is a mob made up of two groups. And me and my, you know, my nine-year-old are standing right on the front line with giant rainbow flags waving in our faces. As I saw them coming, uh, you know, I immediately pulled out my Bible and began to pray the Psalms in the name of Jesus Christ. And I did not stop for nigh on two and a half hours uh, until, uh, in fact, I, well, I'll get there. (laughs) Um, I did turn around to sing hymns with my people a few times. They continued singing hymns almost the entire time. I did uh, make sure that the youth that were there uh, had an adult leader and they got out of the crowd to where they watched. And they said, for the most part, what appeared to be as horrible as it was, was very contained. And it was almost like a Fourth of July picnic around the outside, although everybody was you know, locally complaining about this counter protest that definitely was not only made up of Rockton individuals or, or local individuals. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so, so, you know, that's all going on. The PD are watching, but they're not in it at all. Their cars are there, but they're not in it at all. And, you know, I, so it's a little intense being in that group. Um, one thing I learned from watching Andy Nago do stuff in, in Seattle and elsewhere was that a camera is a very powerful tool. So anytime I had someone get with a, with a megaphone, like into my face and start shouting at me, like in my ears with the megaphone, I pulled uh-huh. out my camera and started taking video of them, footage of them and me, uh, smiling, talking, just trying to get it up. I used TikTok to push it out quickly. I got some of the stuff on Twitter mainly as as uh, as a defensive tactic i mean i was trembling <laughs> you know i don't know i've seen video of people getting hit from behind in the head with bottles and stuff and so mm-hmm. you know i don't know i'm a priest i'm a mark now i got a collar on right so uh, take me out and the whole troop falls or something like that and so you know uh, i um I'm, I'm using the camera i'm pushing it out i'm like trying to share it because frankly i just don't think enough people know this stuff's going on out there um, and I'm praying again and again, you know, through Psalms that are things like, you know, as my enemies rise up against me, hear my cry, oh Lord, right? And it's just like, it, it was pretty potent as an experience. My endurance level flailed on many occasions. I, Dear Lord, give me more grit. Sometimes I would stop and just pray, Jesus, keep the peace. Um, Jesus, have mercy on us because it was that loud. 
around me. And it was that chaotic mm-hmm. around me. And I guess the circle was about 30 feet in diameter, but I'm like in the middle of this thing. And uh, so long story short, you know, two and a half hours later, um, there's not very many people standing right in front of me because they've decided I, I'm not changing, I guess. And they gave up on me. So they've moved left and right. And there's like a little hole in front of me. Um, but the, the line of the waving flags is still immediately to my right. And there's a whole crowd hiding, you know, they put their faces behind the flag and then yell through the flag and like come at you through the flag, trying to get you to hit them. Right. And the whole idea is to get you to hit them on a camera and then, you know, bad terrorists from, you know, Christianity. And, and I hear this yelling as gender does it, um, this, this vitriolic, and disgusting language shouted not from them but from a man about three inches taller than me and definitely 100 pounds on me um uh bearded strong and he is he is cursing up through that flag and i walk i just turn and i walk and i step between the flag and him i put my back to the rainbows and i said you're not helping And he said to me in quite a loud voice, I don't want to. And I said, well, we don't want you to do this. And he said, you don't want to be here when I do what I'm going to do. At that point, I look left and God be praised. The Roman Catholic Tridentine Canon was standing there and he's about my age. We don't know each other. I nodded, though, and he saw my collar and he came over and he looked the guy in the face, said one word uh, or two. The two words came out of the other guy's mouth. I don't know what he said, but suddenly there were four or five other larger men around him moving this individual further away from the both of us, um, which I was like, OK, thank you, everyone else, for like caring about keeping the peace. I, I talked to um, one of the men for a second. I turn around and I begin talking to the people across the rainbows for a second. Um, just like, man, like, like I'm not, I'm not on your side, but, but I, but that was not appropriate. We don't want violence here and we got to keep the peace. I did that. And then you know, moments later I look and they've let him go and he's like doing it still further down, like to someone else. And so at that point I made a beeline for the police officer who was up on the hill that I saw and I've got my collar mm-hmm. on and I said, sir, uh, the gentleman over there has threatened violence to my person and others. And he said, what do you mean? I, I repeat the quote. I just gave it to you. I've given it several times since, you know, uh, he said to me, you do not want to be here when I do what I'm going to do. I said, I think you should move him away from the other people now. And the cops all went in and the, this mob that had been like the yin yang of rainbow and, and Marian Catholic recitation of the, of the, the Ave Maria um, mm-hmm. suddenly was split in half and was on two different lawns. And about half an hour later, the vote to go forward with the, uh, the event occurred. Um, but sitting through the entire thing, I was kind of like, I think I got an answer to prayer. <laughs> We didn't have have uh, an actual video footage of some guy um, doing damage to human beings in the streets of Rockton, which is this little sleeper community where this just doesn't yeah. belong. It just doesn't belong there at all. And I'm going to say one more thing. The LCMS Jew-hating people out there calling me arrogant on Twitter for posting this. Judgment is good enough for me, man. I'll forgive you then. But seriously, get in the fight or go home. So Did, go, um, go ahead, Adam. Was the was the noise continuous? I mean, I, I we've talked about this before, but I I it was, think it that continuous. one reason it did not stop. And it, what made it worse was the Marian uh, worshiping Catholics trying their best to fight back just just did their own version of it, and so it was it was literally utter chaos, utter chaos. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think that one one way that you can tell that something is demonic is by the amount and the kind of noise that is being produced, right? That it yeah. that it's continuous. It has no musical quality. That has no beauty. Just absolutely ongoing. I mean, is this is this something that's going to be happening regularly? What what's Got what's no the schedule? Yeah, you know, they they they're going forward with the um the the story hour. So I will imagine, yeah. I would imagine that as that gets closer, there will be some other kind of protest. Yeah. Um, and then of course, then there's going to be a counter protest. Uh, in, in this, in the local news, when they covered this, I got to be on local news. They took pictures of me. Um, but the, uh, again, that should, that should make everyone angry. Why would the LCMS want its clergy like doing pro-life stuff on local news? That would be like good for all of us. Um, the, uh, they manage though, as they kind of talk about both sides uh, evenly when they let someone actually talk for either side. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, the rainbow people came from for some barbecue in the park and they didn't understand why everyone was so pissed off and that you have all these really other angry citizens that just don't understand for some reason. And, uh, and that mm-hmm. was very clearly cut and, and, and yeah. lined out. So, you know, what's next? I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, there's one in your neighborhood too. I'm sure. <laughs> like, like th- that's kind of it, right? Why do I share this? Is this for Jonathan's glory? I mean, really, again, on Judgment Day, you can see my heart, you know, the way God sees it now. And, and you, you're just going to be disappointed in what you thought. Uh, because to me, this is about being a, a disciple of Dr. Adam Kuntz in terms of how do I do better real-world engagement as a pastor in the Lutheran Church Missouri Center for the sake of the Church of Jesus Christ on earth. And the result is something that is born fruit all over. Uh, so where I've got uh, my members now calling, Pastor, I saw you in news. Oh, I'm so glad you're there. I can't believe, you know. So like we need this. We need all pastors in this kind of game. And if we can't unify around the life movement, people, really, you know, we, we really are better off without the Missouri Synod if we can't unify around the life movement. I, I'll, I'll go on record for that one. <laughs> Man. So not a question, but but laying it out there. Um, you got any Parting thoughts or forward suggestions, or conversely, um, what are the principles you heard me use as principles that you can now give to others to do where they are without having to take my tactics? I mean, the principle is that you have some kind of public witness of which your your people are aware and that the other pastors are aware. The tactics involve you know, what you actually choose to do and what effect you think it will have. It certainly has a galvanizing effect, it sounds like, on your own people for you to be at something like that, which mm-hmm. Ty Bramwell has also seen in California. If you've run across any of his stuff with what he puts on his church sign and how controversial that's been yeah. in in his community, in his little town. I, I think that one thing to think about going forward for you, but for anybody listening, is who, especially locally it, within the church, I don't, I, don't, I don't even necessarily mean the congregation, but in your circuit, as far as pastors go, is going to be supportive and who is not. And that doesn't mean that everyone does the same things in the same ways. I think people are very prone to believe that the way that they go about things is the way everyone should go about things. And if that were true, then there wouldn't be a diversity of gifts. That's the actual diversity that is our strength, is the diversity 
of gifts that you see in the church, like in First Corinthians 12. So when you think about it that way, not that everyone needs to do exactly what you're doing or what I'm doing or what somebody else is doing, but that they're going to be supportive or unsupportive. And the difficulty with the life movement, even for LCMS people, is that they are scared of disapproval that comes for participation in the life movement. And so they're not necessarily going to disavow you. They just won't actually be helpful to you. Right. Now, they may disavow you if you, if you got arrested or accused, this is conceivable, accused of assaulting somebody at such a counter-protest. Right. Right. And so that would be something to figure out ahead of time or before the next time you know, basically what are the, what are the weak links in the system? Because conformity to our present regime is based in a personal or a spiritual sense on a certain weakness that is incapable of heeding truth or promoting truth when it's disapproved of by a, an authority or some perceived majority of people. And so that those are the people who will, you know, dox you. Those are the people who will report you, even from inside your own organization, because you are risking their own comforts and privileges and anything else that they've obtained through lifelong conformity to the regime's requirements. Yeah. 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 That's um, that's been in the back of my head. And, you know, this is a public show. So I guess I'll be the one who sticks his neck out. Um, I, I've talked to my two of my my most normally talked to local pastors in, yeah. in circuit about the event before and after. I was the only one who was there. There was an email that went around beforehand. The tenor of the email was, "Let's not rock the boat because that right. would be bad," which is effectively what I thought too. Um, but I didn't, I, I, something about it left me feeling like we, um, we're a little more afraid of disapproval than we need to be to use your language from a moment ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, but these are my brothers. We have a pretty peaceable circuit. We got a pretty big variety of things that get done here, but, but we all kind of want to get along for the most part. Um, at least, you know, in the, in a pre 2020 kind of way. Uh, and, uh, the and then I met with another uh, guy for lunch uh, the day after two days after who's a very very close personal friend. In fact, I was in his wedding, um, and it is disturbing to me to no end that the planted narrative of the communist Marxist infiltrator using you, lying to you, and then limp-wristed and coward turning his back on you at the last moment while he was all the time pretending to be on your side. I hate that that was even in my mind in both of these relationships, and it still yeah. is there. I despise that lie so much that I'm not going to talk. I'm going to talk about it on this public podcast. So both those guys are out there. You can probably figure out who they are. Go talk to them. Tell them I slandered them or whatever. I, it, it, we got to stop distrusting each other and if we do get stabbed in the back whoever's next to us better grab our bodies off the front line and step in that hole uh because if we let this this uh marxist infiltration narrative get all the way through us again then we're done already right and the only way the missouri state comes back is our clergy act like brothers again 
So, so for all of that, you know, again, Adam, just thank you uh, for your your um, frameworking of all of these things the last couple of years. And um, I, I look forward to continuing to do it. And I, and I really hope the rest of you out there are uh, learning uh, to do what I learned from Adam, which is to imitate him as he imitates Christ. I hope you see me learning from him. You imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then that is the patriarchy principle uh, that other people will see Christ in you by word and deed and want to imitate you. And, and when they trust you enough to ask you why, you're going to have the power of Jesus' name on your lips. You're listening to A Brief History of Power. You know where to find us, or you wouldn't be here. The Hebron Collegium is a gap year Bible school for men in Rockford, Illinois. Semi-monastic boot camp for Christian living. Cowards and slackers need not apply. HebronCollegium.com What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. At 7,123 feet, you can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you. Natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off US 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, Our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and his wisdom week in and week out and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, Our Savior, Pagosa Springs, has what you're looking for. Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School, a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament where the Lord's word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional, liturgical parish 
may be found at blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith in the Beautiful Inland Northwest.